Hi, I am Tingan, and this is the Parents in Tech Podcast. In this special collaboration series with Stripe, the financial infrastructure platform for businesses, I speak with parents at Stripe on how they create work-life integration and balance their career ambitions with family aspirations. In this episode, I speak with Minakshi from Stripe's user operations team. Minakshi is a mother to two children, age 13 and 9. Hi Minakshi, welcome to the show. To begin with, could you tell us a bit more about your family? Sure, thank you for having me. It's the four of us, my husband Puneet and my two boys who are aged 13 years old and 9 years old. Beautiful. So at the teenage years, how is it like being the mom of two going to be teenager boys? Oh my God, it's a constant learning and recalibrating. It's much easier when they're younger. You have to just take care of their physiological needs, feeding them, putting them to sleep and making sure they are safe. (laughs) And now suddenly there are so many other things that you need to take care of from emotions to aspirations to keeping them grounded. So it's a learning. Yeah, I guess it's all part of the journey. But also as a parent, sometimes uh, the phase you're in always doesn't seem to be the best. <laughs> I don't know, for me, I have a young daughter, right? Like I can't wait for her to grow up so she can be more independent. But I'm sure you also sort of miss the days when they were younger and uh, a lot more simpler to care for. You earlier also mentioned, Minakshi, that you had to learn and mm-hmm. keep up with new things. So maybe tell me what is one thing that you had to learn recently? Well, I joined Stripe last year and I changed industries after being 13 years in one company in online advertising. So I think just making that switch to a new company, learning a whole new industry and such complex products was a pretty uphill task. And I don't think I'm done one and a half years into it. Stripe is moving so fast and we are growing so quickly that there's always much more to learn than pretty much I have. That's incredible. But you got to tell me the story of what led to the switch, especially it must have been quite a big decision to make, right? Leaving the advertising industry after 13 years. What was going through your head at that point? Indeed. And I would say there were two things I was trying to do. Number one, anytime I've chosen a career or a role or a switch, I'm trying to always balance that equation of learning with the impact I'm making. While at my previous company, I think I was very comfortable. I was making a high impact. I was learning, but I wasn't feeling challenged enough. And I thought it's time to get uncomfortable again and just challenge myself and see if I still have got that learning muscle in me. So I think that was kind of one big consideration of just doing something which is new, uncomfortable, and just an unexplored territory. Secondly, when we think about careers, which are 30, 40 years long, depending on you know how much you want to work, it's important to sort of gain that breadth of experience across different companies, different cultures, different industries. And this was my sort of attempt to move to see things from a different lens and just learn from that. Got it. So of all the companies and all the industries you could have joined, why Stripe? I would say I am pretty bullish on where fintech is going. And I was very bullish on where online advertising and e-commerce was 10 years ago when I joined Google. 
I strongly think fintech is just getting started. Online payments are just 12% of the total payment volume in the world. And there's such a huge opportunity ahead of us. So I felt I want to kind of go join while it's early and Mm. ride that wave of learning and growth. That's beautiful. So now that you have joined Stripe, how do you explain Stripe to your children? (laughs) That's an interesting one. When I first joined Stripe and told my kids that I was changing companies and I'm going to Stripe, my younger one, who's now nine, but was then seven, jumped and said, oh, you're joining Sprite, that company that makes that drink. And we are going to have an unlimited supply of those bottles at home. He was super happy. Uh, so it was after the party that I tried to explain them that it wasn't Sprite, though we could buy the drinks uh, <laughs> we had taken care of. Uh, it was Stripe. And what I told them was, look, Stripe is like a postman that collects your letters and sort of delivers them to any country, any address. And you don't have to worry about once you post on kind of whether it will be received. They just do it perfectly and efficiently. I also told them when a new building or a new township comes up and you need a new post office or a post box, Stripe does that for you. So you just let them know that you need a solution and they will put that post box so people can post their letters. (laughs) That was interesting because then we could actually kind of look at some websites and say, okay, it's actually meant for the online world. But I think that analogy with letters and postman was what I tried the first time around. I love that. It's such a simple to understand, such a relatable analogy, but I think it's also so true to what Stripe mission and mandate is on trying to disrupt the fintech space. So the question I have, therefore, is like, you know, changing careers, changing industries and companies. I'm sure there was a very steep learning curve. Maybe talk to me a bit about how you brought yourself up to speed quickly. I would start by saying it was an uphill task. It's never easy. But once you kind of start planning your days around learning and impact and start balancing that equation, it becomes routine and becomes a habit. For me, when I joined Stripe, the first 30 to 60 days were really going deeper into product and seeking to understand why certain things are done, why are they valuable, and why we exist, and what's the sort of purpose and vision and mission. And there's just so much to understand. But at the same time, as a newbie, you also bring in that fresh perspective on why not three other ways. For me, just going back to those first principles and asking those basic questions has been a way of learning more, going deeper, but also sometimes challenging the status quo and moving to a point where you are changing things for good. Environment or culture is such that we allow people that flexibility to experiment, to fail and to succeed and let them be. Mm. But I would say it does take quite a bit of time to get comfortable. The other thing I would say is, for me, a big belief is you learn best when you do things firsthand. So though I joined as a manager on the team, I started doing some of the tickets or support cases that the team was doing firsthand. And there's no better way to learn than interacting with your users, understanding their pain points, and then going and finding answers Sometimes the hard way, but that's tremendous learning. I love that that part where you just roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty and come in with a low or no ego that you do the work also so you can really understand what your team goes through. Now, the part that I'm curious about, Minakshi, it's about, I'm sure you learned a lot on the job, but there are also elements that you have to learn off the job. How do you balance that 
with your family time, your personal time. Because I feel like in your previous role where you were comfortable, you were experienced, you were very well knowledge, of course, you will still have to keep up with things. But also when you're in a new role, right? Tell me how do you navigate that balance, especially in the first few months mm-hmm. of joining Strike? I think it's a perpetual effort to balance two careers, two kids and job switch. So it's multiple balls up in the air and then you're trying to catch some at a time or leave some for the other. Just kind of speaking personally, I think both Puneet and I, Mm -hmm. we are super involved as parents and I wouldn't want my job switch to be coming in the way of me helping them with homework or attending parent-teacher meetings or just being there in the moments that they need me. And then both of us as personality are deeply career-oriented. That learning phase is great, but as a leader, it's also very uncomfortable that you don't know what your team is doing. And you just want to be sure about the direction that you're creating because you're impacting so many other people. Yes. So I think, so to manage this all, one thing that we've had going is a common calendar between Puneet and me that we sit down and diligently work on a Saturday. So we lock down like our big events, our big schedules, work-wise, travel-wise, and also kind of where the kids need us. And there's a different color coding depending on whether both of us need to be there. One person can take turns and the other ones. And sometimes very simple things like who's going to pack lunch and snack in the morning because the other person is kind of doing some meetings or study time or who has a night call and the other one is putting them to bed. It's all on calendar and it's all on our phones. (laughs) very tactical, but has really kept us sane on those things. The other part is just kind of operating as allies and sort of giving each other that space. When I started at Stripe and I really, really needed to spend that time at work, I know Puneet was stepping it up so much in terms of taking care of kids and taking care of the house and kind of everything else. And then when he's traveling or he's having those tough periods, I take the flexibility or I take my turn to sort of support. I really love that equal partnership where both of you come together very collaboratively and make a very conscious effort to make it work. I don't think it's like creating a calendar for personal events to some might sound like, oh, wow, like what? why do we go to such great lengths? But it clearly has worked for you. So on that note, I'm curious about what is perhaps a status quo as a mom or even as a dad where you look at your husband that you reject. Traditionally, as a society, and I grew up in a very conservative society back in India, where women do not go to college. I was the first girl in my town, which has a population about a million people, Mm -hmm. to ever go do engineering. So my journey of challenging the status quo started at a very young age. Wow. Typically, women either become teachers or nurses, or they just become housewives. So studying engineering 20 years ago (laughs) was a big challenge to status quo. And I remember sort of kind of having a lot of debates within family on why that was the right thing to do or why that was the right risk to take. But the status quo that I continue to challenge is that you cannot have it all. Like sometimes we think, oh, you can either be a great parent or you can have a great career or you can be a great partner. But doing it all is tough. And I think just shaking that belief and saying, okay, I can have it all. I may not be perfect at times, but I'm going to seek help. I'm going to Mm. forgive myself, but I'm going to just try and desire and make all of this my own. Makes big difference to how you show up in every part of your life. 
Yeah. And I think a big part that you mentioned over there, it's also seeking help. Of course, seeking help from your spouse, that's one. But also tell me a bit more about the help that you have gotten, both at the workplace and also at home, especially when both your sons were younger. Like that's where I'm sure a lot of that came in. Yeah. What did it look like for you? Sure. I think when my kids were growing up, I actually did not have a lot of like family help. So we were Mm. living far from where our families were. So I didn't have the luxury of kind of grandparents around. Back in India, 10 years ago or 12 years ago, even the the daycares or the formal childcare network wasn't that trustworthy. You could leave the child there for two to three hours, but leaving them for a full day was unheard of. Two things that helped us. One, I would say it was a blessing to be in a tech industry. My husband worked at Microsoft at that time and I was at Google. And we just worked out our schedules in such a way that we had to drop our kids to daycare only for three hours. So I would start really early in the morning at like six o'clock and be home by three. Puneet would only leave at 12 and he'll be home by Mm. 9. And we used to see each other only on the weekends. But that's the trade-off that you make because you want to kind of keep it going. And you also want to spend that quality time with your child. I also sought a lot of help, I would say, from people I was working with. Mm -hmm. One thing I still do and I used to do when my kids were young was to define my non-working hours. People typically define working hours, so that's a bit of a departure. But my concept was, except those four or five hours when I'm dedicated mom and I'm not doing anything else, other times I'll be around. I can make midnight work, but probably I cannot make 6 p.m. work because Mm. that's kind of my peak time in the past. Some of that has stayed true till now. And when you set those boundaries and tell people that this is what you stand for and these are your limitations, I've seen my peers, my bosses, my teams actually come and support and show up for that. I remember there was a chief of staff for a very senior person back in my previous company. There was a very important critical meeting happening in my non-working hours. And I was willing to flex, though I wasn't happy. And this person walks up to me and said, hey, man, actually, this is your non-working hours. You should not be going back on your principles. And we actually moved the meeting, which had like five VPs and a lot of kind of senior leaders, but we moved it around. Once you go and seek help and tell people what your boundaries are, you'll be amazed at how much people are willing to support and help you and just kind of show up for you. Absolutely. And I think that inspiration from the people who have supported you, I'm sure you're carrying that now to your team at Strike. Maybe talk to me about how do you engineer this kind of boundaries or this kind of good practices among your current team at Strike? few core principles there. Number one, we talk about work-life balance, but actually we're just kind of one human being. So the concept is actually work-life integration. And I learned it from a very senior leader at Stripe. So when you talk to people about, so number one is kind of understanding where your team is in their journey of that integration. Some people are at that stage where they want to kind of work crazy hours or they want to kind of, you know, really make it happen. There are others who are trying to balance different things and everybody has a unique need. So I think number one is seeking to understand without making any assumptions about other people's lives and just kind of being a good sounding board. Number two, I would say, is in an environment like ours, 
people can define what they want to do. And you'll be amazed, like as a leader, when I let them define their goals, they do a much better job or they stretch much more versus if I try to tell them what is our North Star. So when you trust the team and you empower and give them that much autonomy, they can do wonders. And the third principle that I've lived almost all my career and very much so at Stripe is lead with kind of goal in mind rather than the inputs in mind. So I couldn't care like where they're working from, when are they working or how are they sort of kind of doing it. But if they've set some boundaries for themselves, I would absolutely respect that. And on a side note, if I see any of my team members writing like late emails or online, I do go back and say, hey, what are you doing? Is there something broken or, you know, it's your time to take off? So I think just encouraging that also goes a long way. Just creating the environment where people can come forward to talk about the boundaries they have and also you keeping a close eye for them, potentially crossing those boundaries is super helpful. But I guess the one thing also just kind of pushing on this topic a little more, Minakshi, it's a big part about culture. It's about what you reward and what you don't reward. It's the common stereotype. It's, you know, companies that just put the values on the wall. But then at the end of the day, it's also about how you reward because rewards drive behavior. So I'm curious as to how you, as a leader, you have thought about those rewards and also measuring things like outputs and deliverables to make sure that there's a right balance between the team's work life and also what needs to get accomplished. I'd like to think the reward mechanism in three parts. The number one is what impact are you driving, right? So every business has a set of KPIs or metrics and goals. And of course, as a team, you have to deliver to those targets and goals. And as a part of that, the team understands that they have to deliver on those numbers and those targets. So that's kind of number one. The second one that's equally important to me is how are you delivering those so it's about behaviors. It's about, do you care about lifting others versus lifting yourself? Do you care about doing the right thing, even if that comes at the expense of certain metrics? Do you care, communicate, collaborate, or really kind of build that culture where all of us is more than the individuals? And how do you kind of bring that synergy? So that how is really, really important to me. There are times when we fail in experiments, but I would make it a note to give a shout out on how we tried, how we showed up and how we supported each other when things were breaking down. And I think that's really important and it's important to embody. The third component here is how are you feeling at the end of it? You could be driving great impact. You could be really showing up, but then maybe inside you're suffering as a parent or like something is really breaking down or you're not feeling great about kind of what you've done. Like a lot of my check-ins also are around how are you feeling, which goes beyond how are you doing or what's sort of bothering you. I think that brings out that connection and that compassion that helps people keep going forward. And end of the day, if you take care of their feelings, their impact and their behaviors, I think it makes a great combo for success. Yeah, and I, I really like the part about how you call out not just the achievements that the team has made, but even when things don't go according to plan, being able to talk about it openly really normalizes it. And makes people feel a lot more comfortable to kind of share and discuss about this. So maybe shifting gears a little, Minakshi, maybe tell me a bit more because I heard that you grew up in India. When did you make the move over to Singapore? 
and where were you in your family stage at that point where you did the transition? Because I'm curious about the culture and the culture differences, so to speak. It was an interesting shift. We moved here in 2018. Oh, okay. So relatively recent. Relatively recently, almost four years here now. It was an interesting switch on multiple counts. As I said earlier, we were trying to balance two careers and my husband was kind of really doing well at his company, Microsoft, and I was here at Google. I got an opportunity to kind of lead regional role and it looked like a great move, but it also meant disrupting his kind of role and figuring out what he's going to do. It wasn't easy. We had long discussions about what it is going to be like. Are we going to do a long distance? Are we going to try it out a little bit? But then both of us as parents are so specific or particular that we were sure we're not going to live, do a long distance and kids have either one parent or the other. So we wanted to make it work. When we moved initially and we took the decision to move, we were told that Puneet could work remotely from Singapore for India. But two months after the move, we figured out that that wasn't possible legally. And here we were, right? Like one person sort of optimizing for their career and the other one asked, actually writing down their resignation. In those moments, just kind of, again, going back to the basics of what matters as a family, how do you support each other was kind of our go-to principle. So we looked at our financials, we were fine. We were liking the place. We thought it's a good learning, it's a good move. And then if we persisted, we will find like, you know, other opportunities or commensurate opportunities or even better. So for the first six months, Puneet actually took a career break just to settle down kids. So he was the one managing the school, finding the house, running everything, and even like training our helper (laughs) while I was kind of really managing that transition at work. And then later on, he joined a company here in Singapore. And fast forward today, like three and a half years since he joined, I think he's an absolute awe and love of what he does. And so am I. So I think it's really about sometimes just being okay with plans not working as they were and sort of remaking them as we go along. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's truly inspiring. Sometimes, you know, when you look at leaders like yourself and your husband, it's easy to see, oh, everything looks like it's smooth sailing and all. But I think being real about that, very much appreciated. Now, I want to double click also on that transition for both your sons at that point, right, when they were relatively younger. Arguably, it's easier for, let's say, you to make the transition because, you know, you had a job lined up. And as adults, I think you, you can cope with that. Were there any challenges? in kind of settling them down, uh, even settling as a family in a new culture altogether? Yes, it's always a package deal. But I'll go back a little bit. My younger one, when he was two years old, he was diagnosed with a kidney condition. And we had to kind of go through a certain set of very rigorous treatments. He's doing absolutely fine now, and I, I feel blessed about that. But that was a very tough phase in our lives. So before moving to Singapore, I actually had to turn down an opportunity to move to U.S. for a very large global role. I had to decline a very meaningful opportunity, something that I always wanted to do in my career, but it required relocation to Sydney. The doctors were not sure if the environment change will really help him 
or would make the condition worse. And it was not a chance worth taking. So it came with a lot of that sacrifice. Once he turned five and he was outgrowing that condition, we started evaluating our options all over again and we moved. But he was still on a lot of medication. So when we moved here, because of kind of constant years of steroids and other difficult medicines, he was emotionally very sensitive to a change of place. When we were actually kind of wrapping up our house back in India, he wasn't there. Like we had kind of taken him out, sent him with a friend, and he didn't know that we were moving. All this while our narrative was we are on a, going on a long vacation and we are going to have fun and eat ice cream every day. And when we came here and we started living here, I know Puneet, since he was not working, and this was actually a blessing in disguise because he was not working. Every time we saw him going through that emotion, it was like, okay, let's go to Sentosa. Let's go to a kind of another theme park. This is vacation time. And we just kind of ran it like a vacation for the first couple of months just to settle him down till he started liking that place. The doctors had cautioned that any sort of emotional issue could kind of impact him physiologically. So we were very, very sensitive. The, on the other hand, I think there is also a lot to learn from kids, right? They're, they are much more resilient than adults are. So my elder one, he was constantly helping us sort of make that story to the younger one on how we are on a vacation, how he goes to school on a vacation because the younger one was not going to school and Arush elder one was going to school. So he would create that story like he's, he's sort of playing a school role, but it's not actually a school. So I think I learned kind of how to, I got like really supported. And personally, I would say the transition wasn't easy for me. <laughs> Let's not make that assumption. I had so many friends in such a great network back and then moving countries, moving jobs, sometimes make can make you very lonely. For six months, honestly, if there was one person who wanted to run back, the first one was me. The second one was my younger one. And I think the two other boys were a lot more resilient and they definitely found us an anchor here. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing this. This is truly a moving story and I'm so glad that you went through this successfully. But I'm sure no amount of words can describe the challenge that you must have felt because new country, new role and with all these challenges. But I'm so glad that you persevered together as a family and now it, that's a good outcome to that. So looking back at this entire experience, Minakshi, what kind of advice would you give to parents out there who potentially might be considering such a big change in their lives with families? You know, what are some of the lessons you have learned? I would say two things. Number one, have the belief you can have it all. Have the desire and have the belief that it's all possible. Sometimes just having that mental energy and having that belief can do wonders for us. And number two, I would say is seek help and set your own boundaries on what you want to do and what you don't want to do. After all, everybody has their unique journey. Sometimes we go into that mode of looking at others and thinking maybe they have a perfect life. The moment we start getting comfortable with our own imperfections and we start getting comfortable with sometimes the imperfect work that we do or imperfect speech that we give or imperfect deliverable that we have, it starts to loosen up. It starts to fall in place. So I would say, take it easy, have the belief, have the patience and the world is open for you. That's such a beautiful and on point advice. I completely agree, right? Believe that you can do it all, do your best, and of course, include your family in the process and work something out collaboratively as you have very much exemplified. 
Minakshi, thank you so much for coming on today's show and really opening up and sharing. I think it's truly an inspirational stories that uh, you and your family have been through. If some of our audience would like to connect with you, how can they best do so? I'll be privileged to connect with anybody who would like to. I'm available on LinkedIn. They can reach out to me on that and I'll be happy to share and learn from them too. Sure, sounds good. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking time to join us today, Minakshi. Such a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, and thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here and thank you for being such a wonderful guest. Thanks for listening to the Parents in Tech podcast with me, your host, Tsingen. We hope you were inspired on how to raise kids and build companies. To catch up on earlier episodes or stay updated with upcoming ones, head over to www.parents.fm to join our community of parents in tech. There, you can also drop me a question, idea, feedback, or suggestion. Once again, the website is www.parents.fm. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next time.